Shaver still dribbling with eight. Shaver still dribbling. Shaver down the right side. Oh! And they call a foul on George McCabe as Shaver pushed off on him. What an absolutely horrible, horrible call. I mean, that is an absolute joke. You heard Curtis throw his headset That's down. bad. That's about as bad as it gets because, again, again, you're talking about there's 20 seconds left in the game. A guy's driving right. There's, I mean, they, they run into each other. There's not even contact. There's no hand check. I mean, <laughs> it is inconceivable. Call the Knights. Who? Go me too. I'm going to give you a name for it. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's called Corn Dog. So. It's called what? Corn Dog. It's not called Corn Dog. Oh, yeah. Is it called Corn Dog? There's nothing better than a good Corn Dog with some mustard and uh, ketchup. But he doesn't step into the huddle and say Corn Dog. Oh, no, he says Corn Dog. He does? I just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. I think I will always laugh at the corn dog sound. Peter King's disbelief at every step is phenomenal to me. Like I love it. It's a great sound. Also, he does. Uh he but he doesn't step into the huddle and say corn dog. Oh yeah, he does. It's great. Love That's that the best part where he says he doesn't step into the huddle. <laughs> because it comes right after Andy Reid talking about how ketchup great a corn dog is with ketchup and mustard. And Patcher, uh, Peter King is still processing the play is called corn dog. <laughs> One other important note. Um, it was a soft call, but Jordan McCabe did hand check Marcus Schaefer on that play. He did have his hand hit Marcus Schaefer in the waist as Schaefer was driving. It was a soft call. It probably should have been a no call, but there was contact created by Jordan McCabe on that play. Um, as we fact check our uh, lovely broadcast crew on for UNLV basketball. I saw something that I thought was very entertaining, though, before UNLV played Boise State. Um, this is from what is a uh, great website, nitbracketology.blogspot.com. <laughs> Dot blogspot. Because you do not find much NIT bracketology, but you do at nitbracketology.blogspot.com. And prior to UNLV's game against Boise State, which, by the way, that game actually UNLV went up in the net rankings a little bit because they lost to Boise by less than the projected margin. UNLV is in the NIT field, according to nitbracketology.blogspot.com. All right. Postseason? Postseason for UNLV basketball. Less? They win four in four days? Oh, then they could be in the NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament. So, By the way, if that happened, what would their seed be? 13? Oh, wait. I can I can give you a good uh, a good estimate here because uh, Bart Torvik, I'm giving you all the good websites this morning. Bart Torvik, which is very similar to Ken Palm, gives you a seed estimate. Uh, so, according to Bart Torvik, if UNLV were to win the Mountain West tournament, their projected seed is 12.3. Okay. So, a 12 or a 13 okay. would be their likely seeding because they're not awful right they're not like a oh they went nine and 22 and won the conference tournament they're not a bubble team but they're not too far from the bubble so they'd be better than most of the one bid conference teams leagues um but on the nit here let me let me ask you this first would making the nit be a success if unlv finishes this year like six and 12 in the mountain west and they're like the eight seed in the Mountain West tournament. And they lose in what the first, second round. They second lose round. in the first second round, or they San Diego State beats them by twelve in the second round, whatever. But they have no real success in the Mountain West tournament. 
but they go to the NIT, which the finals are here in Las Vegas. Would we look back at the season as a success? Oh, the entire season in a second year? <sighs> I think it'd be a success. I do, too. I think it'd be a success. It is the something NIT. tangible that they have not had in a decade. Right. They have not had anything tangible to point to. An NIT appearance would absolutely be some sort of intangible, hey, we we did that, right? right? We're not here to go to the NIT, but it's better than what this the program CDI? has done. Yeah, it's well, they've rejected <laughs> those the I would Those I past. would reject. Well, maybe they should start accepting them at this point. Start <laughs> they playing need the, the reps. <laughs> but I think the NIT would be an actual success. But here's the ultimate problem if you're hoping UNLV gets into the NIT. According to nitbracketology.blogspot.com, <laughs> UNLV would effectively be a seven seed, right? There's only eight seed is the worst, right? There's four regions and it's seeded one through eight. UNLV would be a seven seed. So they'd be one of the last eight teams into the NIT right now. The problem is that the NCAA gives out auto bids to the NIT for teams that win their conference regular season. And don't get in the NCAA tournament. Right. So all of these one-bid leagues who have a team go, you know, 16-2 and two in the regular season. but Then, then they get, get upset. They get upset in the semis, right? They're and automatically they're, in the NIT. Right. The three-seed of that team goes to the NCAA tournament, but now that one-seed is guaranteed a spot in right. the uh, NIT. Last year, 11 teams made the NIT through that auto-bid process. So if UNLV right now is projected as one of the last eight teams into the NIT, if there are 11 auto-bid teams of the NIT, they'd be pushed out. They'd be knocked out of the NIT because all of these, you know, the MEAC champion didn't win their conference right. tournament, and now they're guaranteed a spot in the NIT. So even if UNLV is at the moment projected to go to the NIT, they probably still won't make it because there will be enough teams that get the auto-bid. And they won't be in anyway. But they're not far away that we could have legitimate conversations about their NIT resume over the next week or so. What do they have? Three three games left in conference play before the NCAA tournament? Yeah, so, because they're five and they five and ten? Yeah, five and ten. So, so they so have three more. Air Force, Utah State, and Reno. Yeah. So three more. So we could have legitimate talks over the next three weeks about their NIT resume and like, oh, beating Nevada could put them in the NIT or something like that. If they finish strong, they lose them all. Then they play themselves out of the NIT, but it is a legitimate possibility. UNLV could be in the NIT. And I do wonder, would the NIT selection committee maybe give them a little bit of a bump and say, Hey, it's in Las Vegas. Let's get the local team in there in terms of seating. Yeah. We'll just keep putting them in. Oh, just putting them in. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe the seeding is different, though, right? I mean, just because you're a conference tournament ch- conference champion does not mean you're seeded higher. They seed it. Oh right? yeah, yeah. They oh, seed it regularly. Most, most of the auto are like seventh and eighth. Were the last team? Yeah, which yeah. just like the NCAA tournament, where the, right. the, the a lot of the auto bids are in as a worst seed in the tournament. Right. Yes, absolutely, would be one of the worst. But uh, yeah, so maybe they'd say, "Hey, here's UNLV. You guys make a run to the Final Four of the NIT, and you're going to be playing in your home city." The Orleans Arena. Uh, the first rounds are still all at campus sites. So at the higher seed. Yeah, you still go on the road for the first couple games there. But UNLV, maybe in an IT team. Other thing in college basketball, and I hate that they do this. They put out when the NCAA tournament uh, is kind of borrowing from college football, and they put out sort of a mock 
hey, here's what the playoff would look like. Here's what the top 16 seeds. And they did that this past weekend, but they always do it on a on, before the games are played on Saturday and Sunday. So it's immediately out of date because there's been more games played, but they gave us their top 16 seeds going into the weekend. Alabama was the number one overall seed. Houston two, Purdue three, and Kansas would have been the last number one seed. Uh, Kansas got a pretty good win last night over TCU as well. Your two seeds would have been Texas, Arizona, Baylor, and UCLA, followed by Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, TJ, Kansas State on the three line, and the four seed line would have been Indiana, Marquette, Gonzaga, and Xavier. By the way, is Otzelberger going back to Sweet 16? He's got a good team. He'd be on the three seed line. He'd be on the three seed line. So he wouldn't have to upset anybody to get there. Yeah, exactly. If Otzelberger is in the Sweet 16 two years in a row, it's a good coach. Brutal for UNLV. Um, the, The Mountain West question for you How far away is San Diego State from being a top 16 team, which is effectively a four seed in the NCAA tournament? Right now, as we sit here? Yeah. Probably far away. Because Xavier's the 16. They're the last four seed. Ken Palm ranks Xavier 21, San Diego State 17. I still think they're far. I mean, look, I'm just going on all bracketologies uh, out there, and I know, you know, a lot of them take net and Ken Palm into uh, consideration. The highest I've seen them is a six. That's the highest. I've seen a lot of sevens. I haven't seen him on the 8-9 line. I've seen him as a 6 and a 7. So that's fairly far away from... Well, the 6 isn't fairly far away from the 4, but the 7 is. I wonder... Because San Diego State... Are they 17 in Ken Palm? They're 17 in Ken Palm. Yep. Very, very high. Boise State's up to 27 as well. well they're um, both in on those numbers. Right. Um, so San Diego State is 21-5. and five. They're 12-2 and two overall. Their strength of schedule ranks as uh, 32nd on the year. They're top 20 in Ken Palm. They've They're got 17 f- in net this morning. Uh, so they're top 20 in Ken Palm and, and net. net. And four games left. They are hosting Colorado State, which they should win. They go to New Mexico. They go to Boise State. They host Wyoming. Worst worst case scenario, 14 and four. Right. They should, yeah. at Because they should win the two home games. Right. If they were to win out... They, they can get a four seed. I think they can get one. If they win out, they'd beat New Mexico and they'd beat Boise State, which I think would both be quad one wins. I don't know how far New Mexico has fallen, but those should both be quad one wins. And then, you know, don't lose to UNLV in the Mountain West Tournament or something mm. like that. I think they've got a legitimate shot to be a four seed. Now, again, they've got to win out, and I don't think they actually do win all I don't of those think games. Either. I don't think either. But if they do, I think they almost have to be a four seed. Even if they lose one of them, if they lose to New Mexico or Boise State and then win the Mountain West tournament, they might. You, San Diego State might be good enough to get a four seed in the NCAA tournament this year. And as all Mountain West teams do, lose in the first round. <laughs> Regardless of seed, they're losing in the first round, anyways. Alabama got the number one overall seed uh, at this point. Are they the best team? I Here's the thing. I actually think at this point Kansas might be. Man, they look good but in a lot of games. They look really good. He's got like 10 quad one oh, wins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No quad three or four losses. I mean, their resume is ridiculous. They they're, have... they're sixth in net. Uh, Kansas is on a, what is that, a five-game winning streak. All five games are quad one games. Yeah. 
And he lost a couple of really good players to the draft. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna win the they're gonna go back to back with like uh, I shouldn't say completely different, but they're gonna go back to back with largely different teams. Yeah, and I don't know. Like I think Kansas is, but think about it: who is the best team this year? Now that's gonna make for a pretty exciting tournament because who knows when the upsets will come? I think there'll be a lot of upsets or quote unquote upsets because we don't really know who the best teams are. But I just. I watch Kansas and I think Kansas is the best team. Yeah, they were they shut TCU down defensively to end the game. Yeah, uh, last night, Houston might be the best overall team. Uh, they're number one in Ken Palm. They've got some of the best metrics. They're number one in net. Yeah, Alabama has the um, what's the right phrase here? Alabama has, I think, the be- the best like blowout potential. Like they're the team that that could beat you by thirty. Like they, they're the team that could beat a really good team by 30 because they're good defensively and they shoot a ton of threes. Ton of threes. And if they make a, they actually aren't, don't have an extremely high percentage from three, but if they make a lot of them in a game, they'll beat anybody by 20 points. But they also lost to Oklahoma by like 30 at one point this season. So they've kind of got the reverse going on too. They can also lose a game by a lot of points. I think those are the top three. I am completely discounting Purdue because I'm anti big man. Uh, but you could argue for Purdue as well. It's going to be a fun tournament. Are you surprised? I What are these guys? What's St. Mary's in Ken Palm? Oh, let's see. Pretty high still. They are yeah. eight in Ken Palm. And they're seven in net, and they weren't in the top 16 seeds. They were not. Um, and they have the win over Gonzaga. Right. Uh, but their next best win might be San Diego State. So they don't see. have a lot of great wins. Let's see. Their best wins on the year. San Diego State... Yeah, it is. Yeah, Gonzaga is so, their best win. San Diego yeah. State second, and then yeah. BYU is so, their third. And BYU is not a tournament. No, team. Uh, maybe maybe that was the reason. Yeah, so that is uh, probably why they don't have the quality. They don't have. They've got good metrics. They've got a good record. Their overall strength of schedule is in the top one hundred. They just didn't. They just played a lot of. They played a lot of teams that are as good as UNLV. Right. It's not an NCAA tournament team, but it's still a competent opponent, right. which helps your strength of schedule, but doesn't help your quad one numbers or right. your, it helps your quad two numbers but that i think is going to hold them back because they're going to they, they play gonzaga again at the end of the year so yeah win that game and maybe that changes some but they're just not going to have many well, quality better hope gonzaga wasn't as mad as when they played loyola marymount to <laughs> avenge that loss how about that wasn't like 40 at halftime gonzaga beat loyola marymount 108 to 65 yeah uh, after they lost to them earlier in the year it was 35 to 10 after 10 minutes and it was what is my math here? Sixty-eight to twenty-eight at halftime. Forty points. <laughs> Sixty-eight and a half. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, it's Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs today is taking a look at Eric Bieniemy because I think I have the best comparison for Eric Bieniemy's career as a coach in the NFL, Eric Bieniemy, the former Chiefs offensive coordinator, has taken the job as the Commanders offensive coordinator. 
Um, but I'll ask you a question first. Is this going to be good for his career path? I mean, it's been he's he is interviewed for so many jobs. I guess what the idea is he's away from Andy Reid now, so he can do it on his own. But he went to the Commanders, right? Um, last year, the Commanders were twenty fifth in EPA, twenty fourth in points, twenty seventh in yards per play. So, success for Eric Bieniemy next year is having what a top twenty offense, right? If they're the seventeenth best offense in the league, that'll have been been a good job. But I think here is the problem for him: this year we saw three coordinators get hired to become head coaches. Yeah. Eagles offensive coordinator, Eagles, Eagles defensive, defensive coordinator, coordinator, Niners defensive yeah. coordinator. All three coach top five units. People don't hire somebody because they made a bad offense mediocre. People hire coordinators when they have the best in the league. So if he if if the commanders are the 15th best offense in football next year, Benami will have done a hell of a job. But he's not going to get hired because he made the commanders the 15th best offense. You have to be in charge of one of the top five offenses or defense in the league. I don't think it helps him at all unless he ends up getting the actual commander's job at some point in the future. But today's briefs is actually a comparison for you. Eric B. Enemy and Josh McDaniels. Here we go. Eric B. Enemy was the Chiefs offensive coordinator from 2018 until this past season. He had never been an offensive coordinator before. If we go back in time, Josh McDaniels, when he became the Patriots offensive coordinator for the first time in 2006, that was the first time he had been an NFL offensive coordinator. He did it for three years. Both Bienemy and McDaniels were offensive coordinators on a team that had an all-time great head coach and an all-time great quarterback. In his five years at Kansas City, Bienemy's offenses ranked first, fourth, sixth, fifth, and first in points scored. In his first stint as the OC in New England, McDaniel's offenses were 8th, 1st, and 7th in points scored. So both had really good offenses. The enemies were actually a little bit better. But after those three years, Josh McDaniels got hired to be a head coach of the Denver Broncos. It was a disaster. He got fired into his second season. They were 11-17 and 17 under McDaniels overall. So despite the enemy having a slightly better offense, and a nearly identical situation, right? New England had Brady and Belichick. Kansas City has Reed and Mahomes. Both offensive coordinators had a great coach and great quarterback that they got to work with. Despite that, McDaniels got a head coaching job after three years. The enemy, after five years, had to take an offensive coordinator job with a worse team. And guess what? It gets worse than that. Because Josh McDaniels gets fired in Denver. He, for one season, becomes the Rams' offensive coordinator, and then he's right back as the offensive coordinator in New England. Ten years, he was the offensive coordinator in New England in that second stint. First eight of those, Tom Brady was his quarterback. Bill Belichick was the head coach. They finished first, second, third, or fourth in points every single year for those first eight. Eight years. Then Brady leaves. They finished 27th in points. The Cam Newton year. They get Mac Jones. They have a pretty good season. They were sixth in points that year with Mac Jones. And then what happened? Josh McDaniels got hired to be a head coach again. So what that tells you is that Josh McDaniels got two chances to be a head coach before Eric Bieniemy got one. And both of them were in nearly identical situations. Super multi, multiple Super Bowl coach. champs, all-time great head coach. Belichick and Reed are going to the Hall of Fame. 
all-time great quarterbacks. Brady's the best we've ever seen. Mahomes might pass him by the time his career's over. One of those coaches didn't have to deal with, well, it's because of Belichick. Well, it's because of Brady. He got hired twice out of that. Bienemy can't even get hired as a head coach once. Had to take a lateral move in title, but a step oh, no, down. Step down for sure. In terms of success. It is unbelievable when you compare those two coaches that Bienemy did not get hired as a head coach and McDaniels got two, two chances. Two, two, uh, to two opportunities. We have listen, Bienemy might one day become a head coach, and he might it might be a failure, right? Bienemy might not be a good head coach. But we don't know that. What we do know. Josh McDaniels was a disaster as a head coach in Denver, and he still got another chance before Bienemy got one. Yep. And that's what's unbelievable at this point if you're Eric Bienemy. And if he you was just, six and eleven this year. Right. Yeah, and had a bad first season. And what did we do? We spent the whole year you telling me, well, Mark Davis isn't gonna fire this guy. It's like well, well he's not. Right. And you were right. And it's like, how bad does he have to be to get fired? Meanwhile, Eric Bienemy can't even get the opportunity. To be the head coach might be a failure, but we know McDaniels was a failure and he still got that second opportunity while the had to take a downgrade to go be the Washington commander's offensive coordinator. I mean, not to be pedantic, but wouldn't it be his third opportunity? Cause he technically could have been the Colts head coach. If it weren't for a bathroom, it was issue. a very long bathroom <laughs> break by Jim Irsay, <laughs> but it, genuinely, Two to three more yes. opportunities before you got one is genuinely. If if McDaniel's wife hadn't been weirded out by an hour-long bathroom <laughs> visit by Jim Irsay, he might have been the head coach of the Colts. But that's the part. I do not understand the idea of we don't want to hire Bienemy because it's Mahomes and Reed, and we don't know what if he's really in charge there. Right. Every single coordinator that gets hired has great players. Like, sure. is anybody looking at D'Amico Ryans and is like, well, we got Bosa on the front Shane line. Shane Steichen? You got great players at every position. Yeah, Shane Steichen had a pretty good offense. Right. It's like, well, yeah, that's how good units usually work. They've got really good players. So it's just bizarre to me that that would ever be used against the enemy that, ah, well, you got to prove it without Reed and, and Mahomes when McDaniels never had to prove it without Brady and Belichick got a job, proved he was bad, never proved it again without Brady and Belichick, and has now been bad in one year as the head coach of the Raiders. I mean, if only there was some stark difference between Eric Bieniemy and Josh McDaniels that we could point out. Coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, Ryan Wallace. When he's not covering the Knights, he's playing with his goats. One may even be named Ovechkin. This is the VGK Update with Ryan the Hockey Guy. Listen to him Monday through Friday at 4 on the VGK Insiders on Fox Sports Las Vegas. All right, before we get into any hockey, we've got uh, it's uh, your weather update here on the Press Box. We were talking earlier that there are expected winds up to 80 miles an hour here in Vegas uh, tonight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true for Pahrump, Um, but if it is, do you have to do anything special for your uh, animals when the winds could be that he- uh, high? Uh, no, not not anything like special for for them. They're they're all outdoor animals. They they all understand that. Uh, <laughs> You know, wind happens, and generally speaking, we've built them shelters, and you know they haven't they haven't 
collapsed yet in some of the windstorms that we have out here. So I, I think the animals will be okay. I'm, I'm really honestly more concerned about the internet connection <laughs> that I hope you will line up on tonight to do the game broadcast. Man. That's a great point. I totally, I totally forgot it. I'm too worried about um, umbrellas flying through my windows. Yeah. You got, it's the internet connection. You got no chance. You got direct TV like I do. The wind's yeah. going to, you've got no chance to watch the Golden Knights tonight, Ed. No, or our satellite's going to fly off. <laughs> yeah, it is. Actually, the game, it's it's in Chicago, so it's like a 5 o'clock start, so the winds we don't might come until yeah, 8. Get through. You right get as through. the game's over, winds Can knocking out direct State at 8 p.m.? Yeah, you're not watching no, that. not watching that. No chance. Um, all right, Ryan, let's go back to the win over Tampa Bay. What was more impressive to you, scoring four goals in a period against Andre Vasilevsky or holding Tampa to, what, what was it, five shots in the third period when they were protecting a lead? Yeah, I mean, both are equally impressive, right? Like the, the fact that you were able to put four on Andre Vasilevsky in the first period for the first time in his career, that means something. But the way the Golden Knights were able to close out that game more than anything was the most impressive thing to me. This team is only going to go as far as their defense and structure will take them, and they've got to have the ability within a game, even if it gets off the rails early, to kind of rein things in, reel things in, especially when they have a lead. What they were able to do defensively to Tampa in that third period was, to me, the most impressive aspect of that win. Is that, it's only February, right? We're not uh, like in the playoffs or even in the stretch run. It's a random game in February, but they had, they're on a win streak. A lot of it was, yeah, they haven't played great teams yet. Did that game mean a little bit more than just random game in February because they kind of proved it against another really good team? Yeah, I think it did, right? Because, you know, we look at the Golden Knights schedule coming up and you've got some really, really good teams. You've got Tampa once again, you've got Carolina, you've got New Jersey. Really, a lot of the, the, the front runners in the East are on the schedule for the Golden Knights, not to mention the Dallas Stars, the Calgary Flames, who have been up and down, but, but still possess enough talent to be a, a good team that you've got to find a way to beat. And you know when you look at how condensed the schedule is going to be for Vegas, the, the caliber of teams that are on there, you need to see proof of concept. You need to see that the Golden Knights can go up against a really strong opponent, whether it be a good offensive team or an all-around team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that they can come out and find ways to win those games. The fact that they were able to do it to Tampa, the way that they did, suggests that this team will be able to you know, find another gear as we go down this, this final stretch. Without Mark Stone, you need to know that they can beat the elite teams in the league. They proved it against Tampa that they could. I don't know what a bump means, uh, <laughs> but someone has a bump. I do. Uh, what... What would it take in your mind in a couple of weeks for them to uh, make a move for another goalie? I I don't I don't think that they will, and I, I could be completely wrong. I could be completely reading the situation incorrectly here. I I think you know the expectation for Logan Thompson to be back before the end of the season um, hasn't changed. It, it's not wavering. Um, Aiden Hill, as as Bruce Cassidy described it, it's a bump. He wasn't going to play tonight's game anyway so you know you, you kind of uh, you, you look at that situation and maybe you read it a little bit differently now if they get back into town or Aiden Hill's not available for Thursday night's game then I think all of a sudden things change a little bit through you know through how you're you're reading the situation but to me with the Golden Knights their 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 main concern their main need the thing that's going to make them a better team down the stretch isn't who's in net it's can they get a little bit more forward depth going 
for the stretch run? Can they replace some of what is lost with Mark Stone out of the lineup? I don't think it really is going to make all that much of a difference who's in goal if they defend the way that they're supposed to and they're able to find enough offense. I, maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but, but more than anything else, I think this team needs to address a little bit more depth up front than they do trying to put another goaltender into this rotation, especially if Aiden Hill's not going to be longish term and Logan Thompson will be back before the end of the season. Elliot Friedman was on Hockey Night in Canada, got asked where Patrick Kane ends up, and he said, Vegas or Edmonton? Mm-hmm. You think Patrick Kane's going to be a golden knight before the season's over? So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that that's the, the move that makes the most sense for the Golden Knights. I think, you know, for everything that we've heard from Bruce Cassidy, you want a, a player that gets to the interior. You want a player that's kind of a menace around the front of the net. You, you know, I, I would even make the argument that, you know, the Golden Knights could probably use a little bit more than just one player, um, add a little bit more depth in all different situations. But there's no arguing. Patrick Kane is a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no arguing how impactful he can be, especially when the stakes are high in a game and you want somebody to perform in, in the clutch. So I can understand the reasons why you would go out there and acquire a Patrick Kane. I don't know that I'm on board with it. I, I feel like I would be going more for an interior type of player. Like, if given the opportunity, right, I'm going for Timo Meyer more so than I'm going for Patrick Kane. But all that being said, um, if Patrick Kane ends up in Vegas so that Eric Carlson could be an Edmonton Oiler, sure, why not? What would be too much a give back for Patrick Kane? Like, what what would you say? Ah, eh, you can't give that up. Well, I mean, the asking price uh, from from what I I think Elliot Friedman had reported was was not even a first round pick. So, like, if you're if you're able to get Patrick Kane for oh, a second he's a golden pick, knight, I, Ryan. He's a golden knight. Not even a first. You just do it now. He's a golden knight. Just don't even play tonight. Just change locker rooms. Well, okay, he might not even play tonight <laughs> because you're trying to trade the guy. So we'll see. I, if it's less than a first round pick, there's no way the Golden Knights can help themselves based on all the history we have of this organization. I, 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 I hear you, but again, like, is that the player, right? Like, is that the player that's going to, to put the Golden Knights over the edge? Like, is Patrick Kane the player that's going to, to do what Bruce Cassidy has been asking this team, imploring this team to do all season? Like, that's the part where I'm trying to determine if this makes sense for Vegas. Play him with Phil Kessel. Uh, they'll be unstoppable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Phil Kessel's all of a sudden good. I don't know what happened. You're, you're a big, are you a big Phil Kessel fan now? Oh, I'm on board. The guy's been oh, one of their best players for like a month. Yeah. He can't be stopped. Unbelievable. What? That's he's, amazing. It, he's good. It, it, you've am always, I wrong? You've always been his biggest, biggest supporter, I know. A- am I wrong about how much better he's been the last, I don't know, three weeks, month of the season? No, you're not wrong. It's just it's just funny how like on board you are. It's 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 your brand. I get it. It's totally fine. But um, I I just I remember I remember. Oh, I remember too. The Iron Man record. And he should have like, been well, scratched. The end of the he yeah. wanted him scratched. He still. I don't. I wasn't wrong then either. He should have been scratched, and I'm still not wrong <laughs> now. And listen, in two weeks, I will flip again and tell you he needs to be scratched again because he's not playing well. That's that's impossible because he's playing with Will Carrier and nobody that plays with Will Carrier <laughs> is capable of having a bad game. Period. The best hockey player on the planet is Will Carrier. Second best is Phil Kessel. And when they get Patrick Kane, 
Uh, it'll be Patrick Kane. I don't care that I think I just created a line without a center. Irrelevant. <laughs> Who's going to take the thing? I did. Phil Castle can do it every now and then. They'll be perfect. They'll never have a defensive zone draw, that's for sure. That's right. That's right. Who needs to play in the defensive zone? Uh, okay, let me go back to a point you made earlier about uh, if this team is going to win, it's not going to necessarily be about the goalie. It's going to be about what they do in front of the goalie. How big of a difference is it that this team has all six of their top defensemen healthy versus, you know, what they went through in November and December and January where they were, you know, playing Daniil Miramanov and a bunch of other guys in those spots? I think it's been everything. And, and it's not so much like in how their defensive coverage has improved in, in the defensive zone. Like, it, it's not really that. It's the ability to get out of their own zone. Or, put another way, we've seen this team get hemmed in specifically in the second period, more often than not. When they've got all six defensemen, those pockets within a game where they are just spending 30, 40, 45, 50 seconds in their own zone just trying to get the puck out, it happens fewer and farther between because you've got those six defensemen getting back the pucks, making that first touch, and either skating it out, as we see often with Shea Theodore, or making that first pass out of the zone, a la Braden McNabb or Zach Whitecloud. And having all three of your pairs capable of doing that repeatedly, night after night, shift after shift, has allowed the Golden Knights to not have to defend as much. So their defensive metrics improve, but it's not because they're defending better. They're just not spending as much time in their own defensive zone. Uh, after beating Tampa Bay, they're almost guaranteed to lose to the worst team in the league tonight, right? Ooh, um, I mean, it's on the table, but I think the Golden Knights <laughs> have to do... They, they have to take care of business. Like, that's one of the things. You look at the schedule, there are not many easy games left for the Vegas Golden Knights. This would be categorically classified as easy. Chicago doesn't care. They're dejected. They're really bad. And the only reason that Chicago <laughs> beat Toronto legitimately is because Patrick Kane wanted to prove to the world that he's still good and that if you want to trade for him, you should trade for him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that the Golden Knights have to take care of business. I, I think they cannot overlook the Chicago Blackhawks, even though they're on a five-game win streak. They've got to find a way to get two points out of this one. Well, as you're talking, Danny's making a bet. <laughs> He's uh, on his phone. He's betting something. <laughs> he is Ryan Wallace. You can hear him uh, tonight on the pregame, postgame, and intermission show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas as the Golden Knights take on the Blackhawks. Ryan, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Uh, Blackhawks actually won two in a row. They beat Ottawa, and then they did beat Toronto and Patrick Kane at a hat-trick on Sunday. So if Ryan's right and his theory is Patrick Kane's out here to sort of prove, hey, trade for me, I'm still good. I just don't try very hard when I'm playing with these bums. He's going to score five tonight. Oh, this will be this will be his uh, uh, audition. Yeah, if he wants this will be his audition for the Golden Knights. If he he's got the no trade club, if he wants to play in Vegas, he'll score five tonight. Right. If he does for whatever reason, he's like, I don't want to go to Vegas. He's going to have the worst game of his career. He'd be like, Do not trade for me. I do not want any interest in that. <laughs> but if he cares about playing in Vegas, he might score five tonight. And if the price is a second round pick and probably somehow Nick Hague, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad way to go about it. All right, we got tickets to give away to the NIT. A four-pack of tickets to the men's semifinals on Tuesday, March 28th at the Orleans Arena. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. You'll win four tickets to the NIT semis. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number seven. 
You know how hard it is to, to get into the World Series, right? I mean, as we saw last year, right? So the only thing you can do is put yourself in position where good things can happen. Got to make the playoffs. You got to be uh, the team's got to be healthy. It's got to be rested. It's got to be raring to go. And then you let the chips fall where they may. And if you keep putting yourself there, one day we'll get there. Okay. Obviously, I'd love it sooner than later, but you know I can't control that. You're locked in the press box. Degenerate Danny is here, which is always fun. Uh, you lost your Tiger Woods bet. I lost all of my bets this weekend. <laughs> well, all of my golf bets. Can you? Uh, you told us this earlier before the show started. Can you please tell the audience uh, how you messed up placing a bet again? Oh man, yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, so I wanted to take the under of the Jets and Rangers game last night, which it hit finished 4-1 the over under was six but instead of betting that game i decided to bet the under of the islanders and penguins game you just pressed the wrong well you pressed the wrong button, button. yeah because like the rangers and the islanders were right under each other and i saw ny so i clicked <laughs> under is there not like another step to confirm well, no, I mean, you just, you select under and then you go to your bet slip and you put in the money. And right. Select, so you had okay. another opportunity to see that yeah. you had the wrong bet. It's like when you're online shopping and you press add to cart, you don't immediately buy it when you add to Sometimes cart. Sometimes I do. <laughs> in Amazon, they have that one buy click. Oh man. How many oh, times yeah. do you buy the wrong thing? Yeah. Uh, I like that click. I, I've only done that once or twice as well. That's once or twice too many. I like that it click. Happens. The one buy click. Yeah. Yeah. I do that sometimes. Dude. This is like Ed's most excited he's been. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, the one-click buy. <laughs> one-click buy. I'm all they don't let me do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, Degenerate Danny, what, you've done this at least three times. I can't remember the other one. You did it. You meant to hedge your World Series bet by betting the Phillies to win the World Series, and you accidentally bet the Phillies just to win game one. Yeah, that one worked out in my favor. Worked out very well for you. And now you've placed the wrong under on a hockey bet. You've done it one other time, and I'm blanking on what it was. I can't remember either. How does this happen? I know you're betting like 75 times a day. Well, that that baseball one I I put in after having a few drinks. So that one's a little more understandable. (laughs) Yesterday, I just wasn't really paying attention. Do you need to have like, do you need to blow before you can access your sports betting accounts? No, because then that would erase a lot of my betting, especially in-game. Is this the smartest avenue for you? What, sports betting? Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. 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 This is just an obsession. I, I won't this become is, a professional sports This is an obsession. Well, no offense, we figured that out a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we, so we, we were never holding out hope. <laughs> hey, you know, things could turn around. I could hit a couple That's, big ones. You are why they love that statement right there is why they love you more than anybody. Oh, absolutely. Things could turn around. Well, they, they love parlay bet, big parlay betters a lot. I don't do those. Those are He learned his lesson. That's like actually a smart thing. <laughs> yeah. Like the most I'll do on a parlay is like maybe three legs. <laughs> they love you. <laughs> Hey, there's some weird people who put like 15, 20 leg parlays together. Yeah, these are the guys that always are like, oh, he could win $2 million if yeah. two more games go his yeah. way. The and guy they who put did the. $2 on it, and then yeah. they're like, man, I should have put more. It's like, no, you shouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. It was 15 <laughs> legs. Stop it. It's the guy who had all of the champion bets. Yeah. 
And then he cashed out. What, did, what was the last one? The World Cup? Was that the last leg he had? Yes, it was France to win the World Cup. Right, but he cashed out before. Right. Which was good job. He would have lost all his money. Yep. It wasn't actually his, but kind of was his. See, but at that point, you kind of, do you go for the cash out or do you go to a bank and say, hey, I have this money riding on it. Let me get a loan and just play the other side. Isn't isn't the cash out the same as what a hedge would be? Not necessarily. Oh. Cash out's only a certain percentage of what you could win. Right, but when you hedge it, then you only get a certain percentage of what you could win. Right, but you could hedge for more money. So like if if your buy if your uh cash out say is ten thousand dollars, but you could win a hundred thousand, there's ninety. Well, the cash out's gonna be more than that if there's one game left. Well, just using <laughs> round numbers. <laughs> but if, you if, should do fifty thousand, not okay. ten thousand. Cash out's ten. The winning is fifty. There's no, no, 40, no, no. You are completely missing what my point is. If you in that scenario, France and Argentina. And how was, you doing? Was basically. A I'm pick just <laughs> feeling bad for Danny. France and Argentina was basically a pick'em. Right. If that guy was going to win a hundred thousand dollars, if France won the World Cup, the cash out would be about half of that. Be a little less, but the cash out would be nearly half because the game was a pick'em. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't need a ten to one bet to hit the win. He needed a basically a fifty-fifty shot. So if he was going to win 100000 his cash-out option would have been like $48,000. No, it might have been a little less. Probably probably forty, maybe even thirty-five. It's usually not close to 50-50. But at that point, you take out a loan to cover what you could lose or to cover if you win the other one and your loan bet loses. I am going to look this up, and I'm willing to bet it was about 45% of what he could have won. How uh, how hard would it be to run these types of people's credit? Like, just you're like, all right, oh, you need a loan on a bet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, these, this is going to be, this is going to be the high 700s. <laughs> well, that guy, it was well publicized. He could have been like, this is me. I'm, uh, this is oh, a yeah. tweet. I'm right he was, here. He was on, he yeah. was on a bunch of shows that week. He could, he, I think a bank might have actually been like, okay, we, we believe you. What did he cash out at? I don't remember. A lot? Yeah, it was a couple couple of tens of thousands, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember the exact number. but. And had he rolled it through, he would have lost everything? Yeah, because he, he had France to win the World so Cup. So when Argentina won. He yeah. had a $26 bet on like 10 different champions. If he had played it and France had won, it would have cashed for $557,000. Instead, he cashed out. Yeah, and he cashed out. And he cashed out for 283000 which is damn near half.